Good morning, New Life. Anybody else ready for a 60-degree sunny afternoon? <laughs> we'll keep it brief, all right, so we can get out and enjoy the day, particularly after we've uh, kind of feels like we've been living in a subarctic uh, polar cap, North Pole type area the last uh, four or five weeks. And so really looking forward to a sunny day uh, later today. Uh, listen, before we get going into our, our message this morning, I just kind of want to make you aware as a church family of something that uh, we're starting to do in 2018 and ask that you would uh, consider uh, coming alongside with us as, as we do it. We're going to start in 2018 offering um, enrichment courses on Sunday morning. And so uh, we're going to do that two, three, four times a year. And really what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to hone in and target on specific practical areas in all of our lives where we all need to grow uh, as disciples of Jesus. And so really practical things, when I say that, I mean uh, we'll have like uh, enrichment courses on marriage. We'll have enrichment courses on uh, parenting, on finances. How do we manage God's money, our money, uh, according to the scriptures? Uh, we'll talk about things like how to share your faith. In fact, that's the first thing that we're going to do in 2018, uh, starting the first Sunday in February, is we're going to have an enrichment course. It's just going to be four weeks called History or His Story. And it's going to be all about practically how do we share our faith in Jesus? Because the reality is we've had a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations with some of you on Sunday mornings over the course of the last uh, six or eight months. And, and, and kind of the, the thought has been, Chris, look, we kind of understand where we're heading as a church. We understand now that uh, church isn't a building. It's not an event on Sunday morning. Church is a people on mission with Jesus. And we understand that that includes all of us. And so we understand that. We want to be a part of that. We want to uh, be involved with it. But Chris, we don't really understand. We don't really understand. We don't know exactly how to start practically. Like, how do I even open my mouth and begin to share the story of Jesus with my neighbor? or with my friend or my, my coworker, And so this class is going to be that, that, that kind of target, that kind of demographic to teach us how to do that well. And so I'm going to invite Terry Hollifield to come up. He's going to be our teacher for the first enrichment course called History. Terry is a pastor, a church planter. He's uh, kind of developed a reputation in the Asheville area as being a very skilled teacher in the areas of apologetics and evangelism, how to share your faith. And so feel really honored that Terry is going to be with us the whole month of February, teaching us practically how to share our faith in Jesus and not like a goofy, hokey way, right? We don't grab our Bible and just start beating people over the head. And so, is that right, Terry? Yes, Tell us how, how it's going to be. Hey, I'm so excited about these four weeks coming up in February. Um, how many of you know one thing that I know is that everybody, every person needs Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen. And, you know, um, think about your own, if you're a follower of Jesus in here, and I don't take for granted that everyone is. If you're not, welcome. Um, but if you are, think about your own journey in, into becoming a follower of Jesus. You likely had layers of people involved in that journey and layers of situations and layers of conversations all playing some role, big or small, and you ultimately coming to acknowledge Jesus as your only hope. Right? So all of, since there's so many layers, all of our stories look different in lots of ways. But as I've studied uh, discipleship and evangelism for 17 years now, I've been involved in ministry, I've heard literally hundreds and hundreds of stories of people, when they share their story, of coming into contact with his story, the gospel, there's a single thread through it all. 
as different as they can be, there's a single thread that's common, and that is that God shares his story through other people. Everybody comes to Jesus through somebody else. Jesus sends people like you and I as ambassadors of him into other people's lives. Think about your own journey. He likely sent somebody into your life to connect, or multiple people, over years maybe, to connect where you are, your hopes, your dreams, your hurts, your dilemmas, your questions. Connect all of those things that make up your story with his story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17 that God has appointed people a certain time and a certain place to live for the purpose that people might reach out to God and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. What does that have to do with our our course coming up? Well, God has put you here, God has put you now, and God has put you in people's lives so that, by His grace, they can come to know Jesus through you. We're going to talk about, over these four weeks, connecting people's stories, their lives, with His story, the gospel. Will you pray about being part of that journey with us in February? I hope so. Thanks. Thanks, Terry. So, yeah, it's going to be great class. Going to give you some practical tools. I think all of us can relate to maybe not feeling adequate or not feeling like we have the words to exactly share our faith in a winsome way with people that we know, that we want to share our faith with. We want to encourage them with what Jesus has done in our life. Uh, We're going to have some practical ways that you can learn to do that. And so, again, would encourage you, sign up for that. You can do that today on our website, or you can stop at the Next Steps booth on your way out. Now, if you've missed a a week or two since uh, the the New Year started, we are now in our third week of our all-in message series. And so if you've missed a Sunday, here's the premise. Jesus has invited all of us to go all in with him. Let me personalize that for a minute. Jesus has invited you, brother, sister, friend, to go all in with him in 2018. Not, Not halfway, not, not part way, not some of the way, all the way in. And I, here, here's the thing. If you're in the room this morning and you're a follower of Christ, I think that for most of us, that's what we want. But what does it look like practically to go all in with Jesus? And last week, we talked about the fact that the first step to going all in with Jesus is to become a people of the word. The primary way that we know God, the primary way that we hear from God is through his word to us. And so last week I challenged you to begin uh, in 2018 just to make a covenant between you and God to begin reading his word at least three times per week in 2018. We've put a Bible reading plan on our website just to give you some tools that will make it easier for you to do that. So that's, that's the first practical step that we dealt with last week in terms of how do we go all in with Jesus. We have to become people of the word. The next component that's critical for our spiritual health is prayer. And so that's what we're going to be talking about together this morning. Now, if you've been in church for a a long time, if you grew up in church, I'm probably not going to say anything this morning that's going to be earth-shattering to you. Like, you're you're probably not going to walk out of here in a few minutes and go into the parking lot and turn to your spouse and be like, dang, that just blew my mind. I've never never heard that before in my life. That's that's completely revolutionary. You're you're probably not going to do that. But if you're anything like I am, you need, like I need, constant reminders from God about 
what to give your life away to, don't we? I, I know that I do. I just, I just need constant reminders from the Lord of, of how to invest my life, of, of, of how, how to give my life away. Because the reality is we live in a culture that absolutely assaults us with pitches about what we should give our lives away to. But Jesus is really, really clear. Life is found simply in following him. Life is found simply in going all in with him, pushing all your chips to the middle of the table and going for broke with him. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Before we talk about about prayer, I want to stop and actually pray. So would you guys bow with me and pray with me as we ask God to bless our time together this morning. Father, we know that without your help, that without your guidance, it's impossible for us to live the life that you've designed for us to live. We know that. And God, my confession this morning, and I would just guess that the confession of many of us together this morning is that apart from you, we are, we are weak. <laughs> apart from you, God, I know, I know that I'm easily distracted. Our, our hearts quickly drift towards things that don't really matter, like we just sang. And so God, through your word right now, for the next 30 minutes, by the power of your spirit, by the presence of your spirit, would you, would you just teach us now? Would you, would you draw our affections to you? Would you help us to just take whatever step we need to take individually in our lives to go all in with you in 2018, God? Not, not from a place of guilt or obligation, but from a place of, of love, knowing that you're a, a good father to us and that you love us and that your plans for our lives are, are so far superior to anything that we could choose to chase apart from you. So God, we pray it and we ask it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now church, if we were just being honest with one another this morning, I think that many of us would have to admit that we really struggle in the area of prayer. Even for some of us maybe who have walked with Jesus for many years, maybe for some of us who have uh, walked with him for decades even, it's a, it's a struggle. Not, and I don't think it's because we don't believe that it's important. I think we know that. It's just that in real life, it can be difficult. It can be a real challenge, can't it? Uh, you, you sit down and, and you pray and you say, man, I'm going to carve out some, some, a few minutes to, to just, just talk to God. And when we do that, it's almost as if every particle in the universe begins to work against you. Have you noticed that? <laughs> it's true. You sit down and immediately your phone rings. Or you get, you get a series of text messages kind of coming through on your phone. Or your, your kids start screaming in the other room. Or you remember, I've got a meeting in 30 minutes. I've got to get up and I've got to get to this meeting. Or you look down and you notice all the crumbs on your carpet and you think, man, it's been so long since I've, since I've vacuumed and that reminds me I need to go to the grocery store. Before I go to the grocery store, I want E, I need to get some gas in my car. And the next thing you know, you wake up, you snap out of it 10 minutes later and you've done what? Nothing. <laughs> you sat down to pray and you've done absolutely nothing. Has anybody else had that experience or just my problem? Okay. Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad it's not just me. It's, it, it's hard, right? It's hard because uh, it's, it, we're so easily distracted. Our attention spans tend to be short. And I think there are some other reasons that we kind of struggle with prayer, even though we know intellectually that it's really, really, really important to our spiritual life. 
And I think it's because for, for most of us, either consciously, maybe even subconsciously, we have this idea that God probably doesn't hear us. Now, none of us would probably articulate that, right? If I were to come out with a mic and say, what do you believe about prayer? None of you would probably stand up here in front of everybody and say, I don't think God hears us. But if we were to kind of dig down into the mess of our, of our hearts and our, and our thoughts and, and kind of how we process who God is in relationship to us, I think for a lot of us, that would be a real issue. Just not, I'm not sure that God actually hears me. And if he does, I think that there'd be another group of us who would say, even if he does hear us, even if I believe that he does hear us, I'm not sure that he actually answers I'm not sure that he actually answers, answers our, our, our prayers. And so what's the point? I don't see the point. Why should I devote times during my week to, to pray if I'm not even sure that God hears me? And even if he hears me, I'm not even sure that he's going to answer my prayer. And so the question for me is, uh, you know, what, what did Jesus have to say about prayer? That's always a good place to start, isn't it? What did Jesus have to say about prayer? And then how, how did he flesh it out in his own life? How did Jesus practically spend time with his heavenly father? And so if you have a Bible, a hard copy or a device, I would encourage you now to turn to Luke's gospel. And that's where we're going to kind of drill down into this morning. Luke's gospel, chapter 11. And this is kind of like the Mount Everest of Bible passages that deal with prayer. In fact, early last year, January, February, we spent six weeks just drilling down in this one passage and so if you want to go deeper, I would encourage you to go back on our website, maybe dig in. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Our author here is a, a Greek doctor named Luke, and he's writing this to us beginning in verse 1. And Luke says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John, he's talking about John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And so we have Jesus praying Somewhere, his disciples are with him as they always were. They're, they're watching Jesus. They're observing him pray, and they are seemingly impressed. So impressed are they with Jesus and how he's praying that one of the disciples actually comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, you got to teach us how to pray the way that you pray. Jesus, you pray, with, you pray with intimacy and boldness and power, and it seems like the Father actually listens to you and answers you. Jesus, we have never seen somebody pray the way that you pray. You have to teach us how to pray the way that you pray. Now, you, you've got to remember that the disciples grew up in a, a religious culture where uh, the Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, they would pray for show. And so what they typically would do is they would go out somewhere in the public square where there would be hundreds or thousands of people and they would pray really loudly so that everybody could hear their prayer. They wanted everybody to hear. And they would pray with really flowery, religious-y language. Why? Because they wanted everybody to be super impressed with them and say, wow, that guy is a really spiritual giant, right? He's a, he's a very religious man. Apparently, the way that Jesus prayed was incredibly different from anything that they had experienced. And I think it was revolutionary to the disciples. I think that's why they approached Jesus and said, Jesus, we've never heard anything like this. You have to teach us how to pray the way that you pray. Let's pick up in verse 2. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Hallowed be your name. I want to stop right there just for a minute because the way that Jesus begins his prayer would have absolutely blown the disciples' minds. 
Because he says, you should, listen, you should start your prayer by saying, Father. Jesus goes, call, call him dad. Call, just call, come to him and call him, call him dad. I'll never forget when I was in my early 20s. Um, I was probably 22, 23 years old and um, ha- had just been uh, walking with the Lord for two or three years. And um, I went to my parents' small group at the time. So I went to their community group. And um, we were, I remember sitting around a table, and we were praying. And, and, I re, and I think we had just had a meal. We had probably studied uh, the Word together. And so we're praying, and we're going around the room. And I remember there was a family there, uh, the parents and a teenage daughter. She was probably 16 or 17. And we, uh, we kind of go around the circle, and we're all praying, just kind of normal prayers, nothing shocking. And all of a sudden, we get to the 16, 17-year-old girl, and she starts to pray. And she starts her prayer by saying, Daddy. And... And her, her dad was, was there, and so I figured she's talking to her dad in the middle of the prayer. That's kind of strange. So I, like, I, opened up my mind, I opened up my eyes, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, that's actually kind of rude. What is, she, what is she doing? And then I realized she was actually talking to God like that. She came to God as her daddy, and she was talking to him with a level of intimacy and trust, and she was praying like she really believed that God heard her prayers. And she was praying like she really believed that God loved her as his daughter. And I can remember just being completely blown away. I had never heard anybody in my entire life pray that way. Now, she has since gone to be with the Lord, but the way that she prayed that prayer changed my mind on how uh, Jesus teaches us how to pray. And I remember sitting there thinking, this 16 or 17-year-old teenage girl understood what Jesus was saying about how to pray better than most Bible scholars and pastors. Because she understood that for the believer, God is our Father. We are His kid. And that's the first truth I just want to drill down into this morning. Believer, pray like God hears you. Pray with intimacy because he does hear you. Believer, he is your dad. Come to him like you are his kid. Let me illustrate just for a moment. Just, just imagine that you and I, uh, as soon as this service is over, we're, we're out in the lobby and we're having a conversation. We're talking about what we're going to do with a beautiful uh, sunny afternoon and we're going to go hiking or whatever it is. And we're talking, we're having a lovely conversation. And right in the middle of the conversation, I hear one of my three kids cry out in pain. They, and they call my name, Daddy. Now, look, I, I, I love you, but I'm gone. I'm probably not even going to excuse myself. Why? Because that's my kid. I love you, but I love them more. I remember a few years ago, um, I was, uh, I was in a, an important meeting with my lead pastor at the time and another leader in the church, and we were sitting in an office, and I got a, and I got a phone call from my wife. And so I picked it up, and I, and I, said, I said, yeah, I'm in the middle of a meeting uh, is there anything okay? And she said, no, I've just been in an accident with the kids and I'm confused. I don't know where I'm at. Can you please come? And, and I don't remember much about the, the minute or so that followed that conversation, but I know that I jumped up and I'm not even sure that I said anything to those guys and I literally flew to my car. I'm not sure that my feet actually touched the ground. And I think I would have qualified for like an Olympic trial or something. I was just, I was operating on adrenaline. 
And I got to my car and I jumped in and I was driving like Jeff Gordon, like whipping the car around and, and get there. And I get there to them and thank God that they were fine in that moment. They were completely fine. But listen, for that, for that just a couple of minutes, I was reckless in my pursuit of my wife and my kids because there's nothing in this world that is more important to me than them. Nothing. Not money, not my ministry, not my reputation, nothing. I think Jesus is saying, believer, pray like God hears you like that. Because he loves you like that. I was listening to a, a pastor this week, and uh, he was teaching through a, a passage in uh, Romans 8. And, and it just hit me hard. And I, and I want to share this with you because I think it relates very well to what we're talking about uh, this morning. And this is, this is Paul in the book of Romans. He's writing to a small group of believers in a massive city of Rome, where they certainly would have felt marginalized, unimportant, persecuted, not valued, certainly were suffering for their faith. And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel marginalized. Maybe you feel not valued in your life. Maybe you're suffering for your faith or you're suffering through something else in your life. I want you to listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. And I just found this beautiful. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Church, listen, when we, when we trust Jesus, when we give our lives to him, in that instant, we get his spirit and we are adopted as his sons and daughters. And Paul goes a step further. And I have to admit to you that I got really uncomfortable as I dug into this passage because Paul goes further and he says, you're, you're also joint heirs with Jesus. Believer, have you ever thought about that? You are joint heirs with Jesus. In other words, God loves you like he loves Jesus. Joint heirs. My sister and my brother-in-law, um, they have two twin girls. And uh, a couple of years ago, they decided that they were going to, to adopt. And so they, they adopted little baby uh, Ava Grace. I think we got some pictures of her. Uh, she's a little uh, biracial baby, and she's the cutest little thing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, she'll just melt your heart. And I just have to tell you, as I watch my sister and brother-in-law interact with Ava, I can tell you that they love Ava exactly the same way that they love their biological daughters. When I watch my parents interact with Ava, they adore Ava exactly how they adore their other biological grandkids. When my kids play with her, they love her like they love her biological, their biological cousin. I love her that way. She's one of us now. She's our kid. And I think Paul is saying, believer, that's you with God. And this passage makes me uncomfortable because, listen, I know that I am not worthy to be a co-heir with Jesus. I know that I don't deserve to, for God to love me like that. Like the thought that I had as I was studying this week was like, God, God, I just want to be in your presence forever. 
You don't have to love me like that. Just, just let me be a servant. I don't need to be a son. I don't deserve to be loved the way that you love Jesus. And I was just so overwhelmed by God's grace and his love as I studied this this week that I just, I just began to cry as I was studying this. And uh, listen, I'm not a weepy person. Um, I don't watch like Gone with the Wind and end up in a puddle of tears like Pastor Mark Carlson. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'll pay for that later. I, I'm not soft like that, right? I'm not a weepy person, but I was just, I was just overwhelmed by this truth and God's grace and his love towards me that I am his adopted son, that I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I'm, I'm loved by God like he's my daddy. Church, how is that even possible? It's possible because God is indescribably good and because Jesus made a way for the Father to love me like that. Now listen, church, I am convinced that there are many of us who believe that truth intellectually, but we need to experience it. We need to feel it deep in our bones because I want you to understand this. A knowledge only faith is cold and dead. A knowledge only faith is cold and dead. And what I mean by that, guys, is look, most of us tend to drift one direction or the other. We tend to, to drift towards, towards doctrine and knowledge-based faith. And so, look, maybe you can quote Scripture like nobody's business. Maybe you got all your doctrines and theology sorted out, and you know whether you're Reformed or Arminian and, and post-trib and pre-trib and all that kind of stuff. And that's fine. That's good. The other tendency is we drift towards the, the emotional side of our faith. But listen, the, the, I think what God wants for us is, is somewhere in between, a healthy balance. And I just confess to you, for me, I lean more towards the knowledge-based faith. I, I lean more towards that faith, but I'm telling you, we, we need to experience God. Amen. We need to experience it. We need to internalize our, our sonship and our daughtership. It's kind of like, look, I, I grew up my whole life hearing about how beautiful Hawaii was. I'd seen pictures, I'd heard about it, I had pictures in my mind what it would be about be like, but my parent, my grandparents surprised our family one year and took us to uh, Hawaii for a week, which was incredible. So all you grandparents out there, that's just a fabulous idea. Uh, <laughs> my parents are now uh, grandparents, and so I got my fingers crossed that that's coming down the pipe. And, um, but, but anyway, so we, we, we go to, to Hawaii. We're in Hawaii, and we go to this place. I don't even know if I know how to pronounce it right, so bear with me. But we go to this place called Hinomo Bay. All right, Hanomo Bay. That's a picture of Hanomo Bay. And so you go there, and it's this beautiful bay with crystal clear water. And you have these massive, lush green mountains surrounding the whole thing. And you dive in, and you begin to snorkel, and it's like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. The water is crystal clear. You have tens of thousands of fish that are bright, every shape and color you could imagine. They're not scared of people. Like, you're, like, pushing them off of you. I mean, they're just, they're all over you. It was incredible. Now listen, I could hear about the beauty of that bay. I could intellectually believe that that bay was beautiful. But until I experienced it, until I felt it, until I was immersed in its waters and saw its beauty, I didn't get it. When I was there, when I was immersed in it, I felt like I was in heaven. I was like, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. It's exactly what it's going to be like. It changed my perspective, right? 
It took things from grayscale in my life and turned them into living, vivid colors. Friend, we need to feel our sonship and our daughtership. We need to feel it. We need to experience it. We need to internalize it. Ask God's Spirit to let you taste it like he allowed me to taste it this week while I was studying it. That goes back to what we were talking about last week. We must become people of the Word. Right? I experienced that love and grace of God as I was in his word, and he overwhelmed me with that truth. Believer, pray like God hears you. Pray like you're his kid. There's another truth here that we need to see. Jesus prayed big prayers. He prayed big prayers. Because Jesus knew that his father was the king of the universe. Church, that's how we should pray. And that's the second takeaway this morning. If you're here, you've trusted Jesus. Pray like your dad is the king of the world. Like if your earthly dad was the king of the world and he owned everything, how would you interact with him? Would you act like he's some cold, distant person you never talk to once a year maybe, twice a year on Sunday, once a week? How would you interact with him? Believer, pray like your dad is the king of the world. So listen, if you don't pray like Jesus prayed because you don't think the Father loves you like he loves Jesus, or if you don't pray like Jesus prayed because you feel like maybe the God the Father doesn't listen to you like he listens to Jesus, I just want to tell you this morning, I think you're wrong. I just think you're wrong. On the authority of God's word based on Romans 8, I, I, think, I, think, you're, I think you're wrong because that's how we should pray. We should pray like God hears us. We should pray like our dad is the king of the world. And that leads to the next question, and that is, what should we pray for? So that's how we pray. Jesus has given us that, but what should we pray for? Let's pick up at the end of verse 2. Jesus says, pray for this. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus goes, pray that God's kingdom would come. That that things in this world would be like they are in heaven. Friend, is is there a bigger, more glorious prayer in the entire world? Jesus is saying, pray like this. God, God, all the wickedness, all the darkness, all the pain, all the death, all the hopelessness, all the anxiety, all the depression in our world. God, would you come down and would you make it right and would you make it like heaven? Jesus was saying, saying, and look, this is our next takeaway. Church, pray big prayers. Pray big prayers. Yes, pray for your aunt's ingrown toenail if you must. Pray for your cousin's LASIK eye surgery. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't allow that stuff to dominate your prayer life. Instead, pray big, huge prayers. Pray kingdom-sized prayers, Jesus says. And ask God to use you in the coming of his kingdom, to use you as an agent to see his kingdom break through into the darkness of our world until he finally returns to make everything new and set everything right fully and forever. Friend, are you praying like that? Are you praying those types of prayers? Are you praying that God's kingdom would would break through into your family? 
that his kingdom would break through into your marriage, into your broken relationships, into your neighborhood, into the city that we all live in. That his kingdom would break into this broken and dark world that we all live in. The thought that I had as I was studying it this week was, what if we pray, what if we pray puny prayers because we have a puny view of who God is? What if, we, what if we pray puny prayers because we have a small view of who God is? What if we pray puny prayers because we have a small view of his love for us as his kids? And church, I just want to say to you, we have a great, big, powerful God who loves big. And because of that, in light of that, we should pray big prayers. You say, well, okay, Chris, but isn't God sovereign? Like, isn't he in control of everything and it's all just kind of going to go down the way that he wants it to anyway? So what's the point in me praying like that? Well, yes, he's sovereign, but this is what I know. And I want you to hear this. God works through the prayers of his people. He works through the prayers of his people. Now, now why does he do that? Now, I want you to brace yourself for this answer. This is a real, it's going to be hard for you to understand, a real deep doctrinal theological answer Paid a lot of money in seminary for this. Are you, are you ready? Are you ready for why God chooses to work through the prayers of his people? I have no clue. I have. I mean, I thought about it a lot this week. I ha, I, listen, I have no clue why God chooses to work through the prayers of his people, but I know that he does. And I suspect that it's somehow tied to his love for us as his kids. But I know that he works through the prayers of his people. So pray big prayers, church. Pray big prayers. Jesus then gives us a practical example of um, how God works through the prayers of of his kids. I want to pick up there in in verse 5. Listen to this. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, and the Greek word there actually means shameless, bold persistence. Shameless, bold persistence. Because of his shameless, bold persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus goes, okay, disciples, let me, let me paint a picture. I've told you how to pray and what to pray for. Let me paint a picture for you so that you'll understand how this works. Imagine that you had a friend that comes to your home in the middle of the night. It's midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he just begins to beat on your door and say, hey, I need some bread or I need some money or whatever it is. And you say, hey, bro, look, it's late. You're going to wake up my kids. You're going to wake up my neighbors. Go away. Come back in the morning and I'll give you what you need. 
But what if that friend won't stop? He just keeps banging on your door and he's persistent and he's bold in his request and he keeps coming back and banging on your door. Jesus says, eventually you're gonna get up and you're gonna give him what he's asking for because of his persistence. And Jesus turns and he looks to his disciples and he says, you pray like that. That's the way that I want you to pray. Pray until something changes. Because prayer changes everything. Believer, this is the final truth that I want you to hear this morning. Pray like you can change the world. Pray like you can change the world. Not because you can change the world, but because God can change the world and he hears the persistent prayers of his children. So don't give up praying big prayers. Keep knocking, keep banging, keep pleading, because in due time, God is going to answer your prayers. And then Jesus illustrates it even further, and he says, look, if you have a little son, if you have a little daughter, and they come to you and they say, Daddy or Mommy, I'm hungry, give me some food to eat, who's going to give them a snake or a scorpion? Jesus says, look, even if evil people know how to give good gifts to their, their children, how much more? How much more? Does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his kids? Now, was Jesus saying that that God is going to answer yes to all of my prayers? Like, Like if I just pray for 10 years for God to give me a vacation home in the Caribbean and to give me a black Land Rover with black rims and tinted windows, like for those of you who are into that kind of thing, I'm just trying to think of examples for you materialistic sinners. Like, like if, if, you were, if you were into something like that and you were to pray for it persistently for 10 years, does that mean that God has to give it to you? No. No, I've tried. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. So why doesn't God answer yes to all of our prayers? For you parents and you grandparents out there, do you give your kids or grandkids everything that they ask for? Why not? Guys are terrible parents. Because sometimes our kids ask for goofy stuff, right? Like, like it's, not, it's not good for our family to own a real polar bear and have it in our house, right? It's not, that's not a good, like that seems cool when you're a five-year-old kid. You don't realize that that polar bear would shred you and eat you as a snack. Good parents say yes to healthy things and no to harmful things. And God is a good and loving father and he loves us enough to answer No, sometimes. Sometimes. My hope is that as my three children get older, as they learn who I am, as they learn how much I love them and what my character is like, my hope is that they will learn that there's as much love in my no as there is in my yes. There's as much love in my no as there is in my yes. And so that's my hope and my prayer for us church family, that we would learn to pray like Jesus prayed, that we would come to him not as some distant, cold, far-off, unknowable deity, but that we would come to him like our loving daddy because he's he's our father. We are his kids, and he hears us. So as we close this morning, church, let me just encourage you, Pray big prayers that change the world this year. 
Let's devote ourselves to becoming people of the word and people of prayer as we go all in with Jesus in a new year. Because the reality is he's good, he loves us, he wants to revolutionize your life. And so church family, let's press into him in 2018. And last week I challenged you to begin reading the word at least three times per week. I want to reaffirm that challenge this morning. If you haven't started doing it, start it this week. It's three times a week, five minutes. The resources are on our website. But I want, to, I want to reaffirm that challenge, and then I want to add to that challenge. As you go all in with Jesus this year by, by reading his word three times a week, I want to challenge you just to add some concentrated time of prayer, either right before you read or right after you read the word. Church, this, this rhythm of reading the word in prayer is how we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We hear from him in his word, just like I did and was, was wrecked in a good way this week reading Romans chapter 8. We encounter him in his word and then we respond back and communicate back in prayer. This rhythm is powerful. It's powerful in our lives. It will change your life. It will begin to impact the world around us. So we're going to move into a time of celebration now. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf with his life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he's made God our Abba, our dad. And we can have that relationship with him. And so I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward to the tables. Now, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, whether you're a member of our New Life family or not, I'm going to invite you in just a couple of minutes to go ahead and come forward and take the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, I just want to let you know that we're super happy that you're here. We're excited that you're here. We want to invite you just to kind of sit back, relax, enjoy the music, observe, ask questions. Maybe you came with a friend, ask them questions. What are you guys doing? Why are you eating crackers and drinking juice in church? Uh, if you have more questions, feel free to come and ask me afterwards. But just sit back, relax and enjoy this time. So I want to invite you to the church family to stand with me. We have four tables at the front. We have two at the back. I'm going to ask you to exit on your left, get the elements, return to your seat on your right, have a seat. We'll take them together in just a moment. You come.